Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. It is a big day, of course. Later on this morning, USDA is releasing a couple of big reports, quarterly grain stocks coming out, as well as prospective plantings. We'll dig into those reports tomorrow on AOA. Today, though, we are going to be talking a little bit later on in the program with Darren Newsom. We're going to take a look at the cattle market and what could be developing as the summer grilling season starts to heat up. And then we're going to speak with John Hulsman. He's our geopolitical strategist strategist over in Europe. He's been keeping a close eye on the situation in the Ukraine. We saw what happened to these markets when the peace talks started here earlier this week. Big sell-off as some of that risk premium came out. What happens in Ukraine definitely matters to our markets. And finally, at the end of the show, we're going to get an update from Corteva. Shauna Hubbard will join us. Enlist and Enlist Duo were recently reapproved for use all across the country, added 134 counties back onto the registration label. Shauna's going to join us and share just what that means for Corteva and crop protection as we get into the summer. But before we talk about all of that, we are going to come back to an issue that really the whole economy has been talking about for the past two years, and that's supply chain disruptions. They're moving into the world of rail, and they're impacting a lot of folks in the grain and feed community. Joining me today is National Grain and Feed Association President and CEO Mike Seifert. Mike, you recently, as on behalf of uh, NGFA, sent a letter to the Surface Transportation Board asking to help address significant rail service disruptions. What have you heard from your members? What have been some of the disruptions? Well, first, thanks for having me on, Mike. And uh, yeah, so what We've seen, particularly over the last three to four weeks, um, significant rail issues have begun to develop. And we have had members telling us um, both at elevators and at processing facilities that they have had to suspend or temporarily suspend um, taking deliveries from producers, either because um, they are full of grain and oil seeds that they can't move out or they have finished product um, that they are unable to move out. We have heard from a number of uh, members who provide feed uh, to livestock producers, poultry, dairy uh, feeders, that they have run out of feed or have come very close to running out of feed, um, have been unable to deliver on some of their contracts or have had to cut back on rations. And we've also uh, heard from members, particularly in the PNW, of export vessels um, that have been delayed and had to wait because they've been unable to the sheltering to fill those vessels and get them out to the export markets. Yeah, this has sprung up very quickly. Mike, what are some of the issues contributing to this delay? Is it all labor on the rail side? You know, I think, you know, the majority of it, I, we believe, is is due to, to labor issues. And, and obviously, um, there's been significant supply chain issues. We're all aware of, of the lack of truckers that we've heard about, and the port issues, but we're also seeing it in the railroads. Um, and in the last few years, a number of the railroads have uh, gone to what they call PSR or Precision Scheduled Railroading. Um, that's a strategy that they use in terms of departure schedules, cleaner delivery methods to lower their operating ratios and consolidate railroad networks. That's resulted in a number uh, of staff being reduced, uh, workers being reduced, which means when there is a hiccup, it's harder to recover. Second thing is obviously the COVID challenges um, that every employer and our members have faced as well. And what we've heard from a number of the rail lines is that um, they furloughed uh, workers during COVID. Um, in some instances, we think maybe furloughed too many, but now they're having trouble getting some of those workers back and some of those workers have just decided to do other things. And so they're now some short due to PSR, short additionally due to COVID, and then they're competing with the challenges everybody else is of trying to hire new workers. And the fact that when you're hiring railroad workers, there's a training process you have to go through. And, and we understand that fully as NGFA members. There are certainly safety issues there and concerns. And, and we understand that, you know, you, you can't hire somebody and put them on the rail line the next day, that there, there's a process you got to go through there. Yeah, so it will take time, even once they get folks hired, to get them through that training process. Mike, has have these disruptions been confined or localized to any specific geography or specific carrier, or is it truly nationwide? 
we're we're hearing it system wide, um, particularly um, <coughs> excuse me in the Western U.S. Um, PNW California significant um, issues getting deliveries there, but that's stemming to an, an inability uh, to get. Uh, cars and, and shipments moved um, out of the plains and, and out of the Midwest. And just give you a couple of examples. Um, Train Magazine uh, reported that for the week of March 18, on one line, they reported that there were 6,092 grain car orders in North Dakota that were 11 or more days past Duke. Um, and the same week in Nebraska, another line had almost 1,600 grain car orders that were delayed by 11 days or more. So we're seeing it there, but we're also seeing issues um, in the southwest and the southeast. And so it, it really is a, a broader system-wide issue. It, it's not a regional issue. And that, of course, predicated your request to the Surface Transportation Board. They oversee all aspects of the railroad. Mike, what was NGFA or what is NGFA looking to get out of the STB? What do you hope your letter does? Well, what we're hoping is that um, STB will work with the railroads to, to do a couple of things. One, get a plan uh, from the rail lines of how, how we're going to um, work through these labor issues and start getting product moving and get weekly updates on that. Secondly, in the long term, we'd like to have STB um, require the rail providers to provide annual service assurance plans to reduce the probability of widespread issues like this in the past. STB also has a number of rulemakings going on, including uh, an issue called reciprocal switching right now, um, final offer rate review, which would allow us to challenge uh, unfair, what we, our members consider unfair rates more easily. We'd like to see them take action on, on some of those pen, pending issues that STB has been considering, in addition to those specific short and short-term requests that we made in our letter. You know, looking out a little bit longer term, I know NGFA is looking for an annual service assurance plan. Can you talk about what that would look like and, and what kind of confidence that would give your members? I think what we would look, you know, what we think it would hope it would look like is that it would give us um, uh, expectations of what they uh, expect uh, to be able to do in the coming year in terms of providing service, where or when. Um, do they expect delays? And we understand things happen, weather uh, derailments that can, can move things, but that would give some certainty um, so that our members um, can depend on the rail service to be there and to know that if the rail service isn't going to be there in those opportunities when they can go to uh, alternative methods, trucking, barge, that they're able to do it. But I'll also say, you know, particularly over long distances, um, Many times, uh, rail is the only option. A quarter uh, of the grain uh, production in the U.S. moves by rail. Forty percent of our grain exports move by rail. And so knowing that we're going to be able uh, to provide those services um, and ensure economic security in rural America, food security uh, in the U.S. in terms of food production and national security for exports, it's, it's a priority for our members. It certainly is. we got to keep those trains on time. Thanks to Mike Seifert, President and CEO of the National Grain and Feed Association. Mike, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Have a good day. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis will join us. We're going to take a look at this cattle market and what could develop over the summer. Stick with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha.
Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, 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 we are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today on the show. A little bit later on this morning at 11 o'clock, we will be getting some reports from the USDA. We'll get their prospective plantings report, taking a look at what acreage the USDA says farmers are going to be planting this upcoming year, as well as a look at the quarterly grain stocks. And we'll break those down on tomorrow's show. Today, we're going to use this opportunity to take a look at some of the other issues that are developing in the world of ag commodities futures markets to help us do that. Darren Newsom, the founder of Newsom Analysis, joins me today. And Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mike. Really appreciate you having me on again. Well, let's talk first. Let's look over at the cattle market. It, it might be snowing across parts of the country today, but Darren, we are getting close to summertime. Grilling season is nearing. What do you see beef demand looking like as we flip the calendar over to April? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike, because I, I think that's going to be the key. I like to look at the cutout markets as, uh, as kind of a key economic indicator. And we've seen them go up in March, which is, which is a good sign. This tells me that there's getting to be some demand. It's seasonal. As you just said, it's seasonal as we get back into grilling season. Now I want to see how long this can last. I mean, we've seen a nice run here in both choice and select uh, over the course of March. Will it be able to hold? Will inflation across the you know, grand scale of everything else that we need to buy day to day, will that start to slow you know, this discretionary spending that folks are going to look at you know, to buy the higher price cuts of meat? We'll have to wait and see. It's a positive sign here at the end of March, certainly going into April, certainly going into grilling, it's not grilling season, but grilling season. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see if it can hold. Indeed, we will, Darren, as you look more broadly at the cattle market fundamentals, looking on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, how does it look to you right now heading into that, that summer season? Bearish. Um, the, the overall supply and demand situation is bearish, which is one of the reasons why we really need to see you know, some, some bullish signs coming from uh, uh, not just the cutout markets, but also from the cash markets. You know, this week, we're seeing cash you know, right around that 138. Uh, we've got April futures up at 140. That means basis is a little bit weak. Further out, if we look at the June, August, August, October, these, these, however far out we want to go on these spreads, 
they're all bearish. They're all running well, be- well below their previous five-year weekly low closes. So, you know, it it just tells me that we've got a lot of cattle and feed, a lot of you know pasture and, and, and wheat ground is terrible. So they've moved them into the feed yard. We've got a lot of head. Uh, you know, the, those who own the cattle see these these big spreads out to the deferred issue, so they hold them back. So these large number of head get bigger. We got a lot of beef coming on. So we have to see that demand stay strong. Right now, supplies are outweighing demand, and, they, and we can see that in spread after spread after spread. We have to start to see us you know, chew through that a little bit, which is why it's so important that we do continue to see that demand grow, that we do see the cutout markets strengthen. The rest of the economy, if it starts to go south, we start to move into a recession, it could be a bit of a problem for the cattle market. It certainly could. And you touched on the inflation and other aspects of the economy now competing for the consumer's food dollar. Darren, a little bit later on today, this afternoon, President Biden is expected to make some announcements reducing the cost of energy. The The talk is we're going to be hearing another release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, potentially as much as a million barrels a day, potentially for as long as 180 days. Darren, what do you think? Is this a meaningful drop in the bucket for uh, domestic oil supplies? You know, it's, it's, it's an attempt. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give the administration that. It's an attempt you know, to get their hands around uh, you know, what, what is a problem. But energy is just one part of it. There's, there's so many other aspects to this, to this inflationary discussion. But will it make a huge difference? Probably not. Uh, but it could make some difference. Uh, I do think, you know, the, the initial reaction was to see crude oil break, but we're also heading into driving season, right? We're heading into the time when demand tends to ramp up. Uh, now, will it again this year? I don't know. We'll have to see if people are willing to pay, you know, $4 plus gasoline. Uh, if we can get a substantial break, which I don't think is going to happen, but if we could, that will simply just work to, you know, keep support, keep demand going stronger. So it kind of fights against itself at this time of year, but, uh, I understand the administration has to make a move. It needs to do something, and, and you know, this is at least an attempt. It is. It is. We'll see if that is what Biden ends up releasing a little bit later on. We'll have updates, of course, as it continues. Darren, as, as we look at all the, the machinations happening in Washington, D.C., with the Federal Reserve, we're looking at rate hikes down the line. I, I want to get your thoughts here on the value of the U.S. dollar. Obviously vital to ag exports. A stronger U.S. dollar raises our costs to our export partners in other countries, and it's been climbing. Where do you see the dollar going from here? Does the U.S. remain the, the best house on a bad block? You know, it, it has been for quite some time. And what's interesting with all this talk of six, as you pointed out, six, seven, eight, nine, however many, uh, you know, interest rate hikes, not only just this year, but again next year, the dollar is actually showing signs that it's topping out on its weekly chart, which is an interesting thing to me. Can we believe these technical patterns? But this is about as clear as a, of a bearish reversal pattern as we're going to see on any chart for any market any time. So now we'll see if there's any if there's any reality to it, if there's any strength to it, if, if the algorithms believe it and we actually see the dollar start to come down. If the dollar starts to weaken, you know, that's going to theoretically keep support underneath the commodity complex as a whole. Again, we have to ask ourselves, prices are already high for many of these commodities. Will they find new buyers? I think there's a good chance. Because supply is so tight, supply and demand is so tight from energies to, to metals to, to grains and oil seeds and everywhere else we go, softs, you know, everywhere but the cattle market, supply and demand is bullish. And so if the dollar comes down and we still have that type of uh, fundamental situation, could set the stage for a very interesting spring and summer season for commodities in general is going to make that fight against inflation that much more difficult. Yeah, it certainly will. Do you think we're going to be watching? Will I guess my question is, will the next FOMAC meeting be the key data point that we're watching for additional strength in the dollar? Or will it just be broad export news, other geopolitical events? I, I think I, I think it's going to be more of the broad news. Uh, you know, will, will we will the next meeting be where they move, you know, a full half percentage point? I think there's a good possibility that it could be. I think we are going to see a much more aggressive, much more aggressive moves here over the coming months. Now, theoretically, that would be bullish 
for the dollar. So here's where it's going to get real interesting, where we've got the dollar's fundamentals turning more bullish with interest rate hikes, but yet its technicals are growing more bearish, which one wins out. So I think that's what we're going to have to watch. Then we've got the whole inverted uh, yield curve uh, as we look at the, t- the, the three to 10 years. Uh, that is, you know, according to economists, a bit of a concern, a warning sign of recession. How does this weigh in on the dollar? It's going to be quite uh, end of, you know, last Hey there, Derek. I think we lost you there for a second. I want to pick your brain here on a piece you wrote earlier this week. Um, you noted that the soybean market was so bullish, it might actually be bearish. Darren, could you tell me a little bit about what you meant with that headline? Yeah, what I'm looking at there is, you know, we, we, are, we have such tight supply and demand situation. Our stocks to use uh, for the U.S. soybeans, available stocks to use, is record tight, even more so than what we saw in 2013-14. What that could mean is we, have, we, we could eventually start to see some cancellations or rolling of old crop export sales out to new crop. And if so, that's going to be a bit bearish, not just for the old crop as it adds some sales, it adds some potential supplies back to the equation, but also it takes away demand and new demand from new crops. So we've gotten ourselves in such a tight situation, such a bullish situation that down the road, this could actually be viewed as bearish or at least not as bullish. Darren, I mean, realistically, the the conversations I hear from folks are that the buyers right now really need beans. They were hoping to to fill their coffers with beans out of Brazil. Can we have these export partners delay bean shipments? Do you think we have enough stored on on the ground in in China, say, or in Korea and Mexico? Probably not. Uh, And so I think what's going to happen is you may actually see global demand be trimmed a little bit as everyone waits for the next round of harvest. Uh, You know, the the U.S. harvest this spring, they may have to do a little bit of, you know, reconfiguring and recalculating how they can get themselves through to this next U.S. harvest. Hope that there's some early harvest, say, in late July or August uh, and and see if we can start to get some uh, some beans to refill the supply, the pipelines at that point. Boy, there is a lot of year left ahead. Darren Newsom, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your insight on what is going on inside these markets. Well, thanks for having me on again, Mike. Of course. And folks, stick around. When we return, John Holzman, geopolitical strategist, will join us with an update on what is developing in Ukraine. So stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, Soil Date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade here so far this morning, we are gearing up for USDA's quarterly grain stocks and planting intentions reports due out at 11 a.m. Central Time. The ag markets have a bit of a firmer tone heading into that report with soybeans up moderately, quarter wheat up as well with wheat now into double-digit strength as we continue to watch issues with Russia-Ukraine, war premium coming back into this market, crude oil been under pressure as well. As President Biden talks about releasing more from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve up to 1 million barrels per day, and that size of that reserve is starting to dwindle, and so crude oil under a bit of pressure here this morning, down 355 a barrel, 104.27. Now the ag sector again going to be very focused here on the USDA reports to round out the month as we 
Watch uh, the South America drought removing some soybean production from the global balance sheet. The war in Ukraine moving corn production from the global balance sheet. So what will we see with those global stocks numbers and the planting intentions? It's also the end of a wild month and fiscal quarter on Wall Street. Plenty of economic data and other news going to be out there as well. The VIX trading quietly near 20 here this morning as we uh, watch and go through the day with a lot of volatility expected here in the market trade. Right now, May quart up three and a half, seven forty one and a half. December up five and a half, six sixty one and a half. May soybeans up eleven and a quarter, sixteen seventy five and a quarter. November up eight, fourteen seventy eight and a quarter. May bean meal up two ninety a ton, four seventy six. May bean oil down or up a point now, seventy two twenty three. May Chicago wheat up twenty six and three quarters, ten fifty four. May Kansas City wheat up twenty three and a half, ten sixty eight. May spring wheat up twenty at ten seventy eight. Hog inventory, quarterly hogs and pigs report down 2% here as we see hogs higher. May up 140, 118.40. Cattle futures are mixed here this hour. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thank you for tuning in today to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past couple weeks, we have continued to see the ongoing war in Ukraine impact the markets. First, it was driving up prices as wheat was locked limit as global traders look for ways to hedge their exposure to that Eastern European region. And then once peace talks started earlier this week, we saw some of that risk premium come out of the market. What happens in Eastern Europe impacts our bottom lines here in this country. So to give us some perspective on what is developing over there, our friend John Hulsman joins the show today. John's a geopolitical strategist based in Milan, Italy, and he's the host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Mike. Good to be back. Let's talk first and foremost about the peace talks that have reportedly gotten underway between Russia and Ukraine. John, in your opinion, are they going to lead to anything in the short term? Not in the short term. Uh, they've gotten closer in that Putin uh, no longer expects the ratification of the Zelensky government, and Zelensky has said he doesn't want to join NATO, so they are moving closer together. But the Donbass, the two eastern provinces of Ukraine, Russian-speaking, where the Russians are launching their new assault, both sides have yet to give way on that. And so I think Putin put it well when he spoke to Mario Draghi, the prime minister of Italy today, it, it, the time is not yet right, and the battlefield will determine that outcome. So in the short run, no, but they are moving closer together, and they have less maximalist goals. Well, that is a good sign, no doubt, for the Ukrainian people. We've also heard reports that uh, Russia has stopped shelling the port city of Mariupol. Is that something you have heard as well? Have they actually uh, cut back on their bombardment? They have, but probably just because they're taking such a beating in the world press for their human rights violations there. They want Mariupol because they need it to connect these two Donbass provinces to Crimea, which they've already taken. And if you look at a map, they need they need along the Sea of Azov a pathway, and Mariupol unfortunately sits right in the middle. That's really the goal of the war now, making this corridor from these two provinces connecting Russia to Crimea through this uh, entryway through Mariupol, and that's what they're fighting for. John, there has been so much uh, uh, 
pressure from the Russians to really take over that eastern half of Ukraine. Strategically, what's the value in the Donbass region, pairing it with Crimea? What does Putin hope to get out of it long term for Russia? Well, again, as we've said before, Mike, I mean, for him, this is a matter of maintaining great power status, that you need satellites to surround you like a Russian czar. And then if you're attacked, you trade land for time and wait for winter to come. And this saved the Russians against the Swedes in the 18th century, Napoleon in the 19th, and Hitler in the 20th. So this is a very old strategic playbook. And this would give them strategic depth when combined with already dominating Belarus, and dominating the Caucasus region. So this is part of a much bigger plan. Okay, Laz, we're thinking about Putin's strategic abilities. One of his major points of leverage has been the sale of gas into Western Europe, countries he has now called unfriendly, and he's demanded payments in rubles. Europe has balked. John, where does this situation go? The Kremlin has said they're willing to shut off gas supplies. Are they bluffing? No, they're not. And I mean, this has always been the Achilles heel. I mean, for 20 years, I've been going to Germany and begging the German government to stop its addiction to Russian natural gas. And of course, as we've talked about, Mike, they were going to double down with a whole new pipeline, Nord Stream 2, which would have upped their dependence to about 70 percent. But it's well over one third in Europe and over 40 percent in Germany. And there could indeed be a shock. The Germans are practicing for rationing of gas. The Americans and the Qataris will come online. But of course, as you know, this takes time. They haven't even built the, the platforms, the offshore terminals to unload American liquefied natural gas. It's a good medium term solution. But in the short run, there would be a price shock without a doubt. And yes, I think Putin's prepared to do it because they are unfriendly to him. They are firmly on the side of the Ukrainians in the United States. So what happens? And I guess what's the timeline for when Russia could shut this off? Could this be happening as, as quickly as next week? I think it unlikely. The threat is better than doing it. Again, the Russians have to sell this to somebody and their pipelines to move greater production to China, which is their long term strategic goal. Those pipelines haven't been built yet in their entirety. And so you can't just flick a switch and move something as heavy as oil and gas around the world. And uh, our listeners will know that better than most people. And so the reality is that the Russians uh, continue to take money from an unfriendly source. And the unfriendly source continues to supply the Russian war machine, not because anybody's happy about this, but those are the economics. So I think the threat of it is more likely than doing it, stopping and starting it and driving the Europeans crazy for their incredibly stupid energy policy over the last 20 years. There's no other way to put it um, is probably the game. But to fully stop it, that doesn't suit Russian interests either. You mentioned Europe's stupid energy policy for the last 40 years. Obviously, that has come under fire and into question here over the past six weeks. Is the the direction of a new European energy policy taking shape over there, John? Are we finding additional, perhaps less unfriendly sources of energy for those countries? We are. And it's moving by European standards at the speed of light, by, but by American standards still very quickly. At the moment, Europe has three gas supporters. First, Russia. A lot of political risk, then Algeria, some political risk, then Norway, no political risk. Adding into that mix, they're looking at Qatar, which is a pro-Western Gulf state, which is as close to a swing producer in natural gas as it gets, and then the United States with LNG in the long run. And deals have been done between the EU and the U.S. over this with two terminals to be built at German ports. So this is more movement in about two weeks than I've seen in two decades, but there is a short-term problem. Okay. As you think longer term about how Russia is going to, to react and, and refill their coffers, one place I've seen it reported that they've been able to sell oil is into India. Why is India able to buy Russian oil? Does the global world care? Is this a cheap enough oil energy supply for India to see them modernize, John? Well, that's part of it. India has, you know, in the Cold War, India was an ally of Russia, and they still get, even though they're now much more pro-American, they get most of their weaponry still, or the, the plurality of it, from Russia. So they have long-standing ties to the Russians, and they're being offered a vast discount to take Russian oil and natural gas that is traded for in rubles and rupees. So that gets round the sanctions that have been put in place. And yes, the U.S. is leaning on India, but not all that hard, because we need India for the bigger contests with China ahead. And this is where the game gets very complicated. This is enough certainly to help India, and the discount they're getting will help India. But on the other hand, 
They want to annoy the Americans without making us too angry. And so far, they've done a rather good job of that. John, you mentioned the game with China. Obviously, China's a huge customer of American agricultural products, and the Americans are huge customers of so much of what is manufactured in China. They have been uh, watched very closely as this war has progressed. What have you gleaned from China's actions? Do we have, uh, do we have an idea yet of, of where they fall on all of this? I think we do. And we're back to what I said before. They don't mind annoying us, but they don't want to make us angry. And the Chinese have perfected that art too. They've been pro-Russian in their comments, but very quietly so. Not as much by Xi Jinping, the leader, but more by Wang Yi, the foreign minister. And it's been very, by Chinese standards, anodyne. And NATO has a role to play in this, and we want peace. But it's frankly, diplomats speak to say, we're siding with the Russians, but very quietly. And we don't want to be seen to side with them too much for the precise reason you say that China and America make up the global supply chain. Yes, we're diversifying away from that, but that doesn't happen in a second for either side. So they're they're being pro-Russian without scaring the horses. And is it working uh, broadly as you t- work within your geopolitical strategist circles? Are, are most folks recognizing the game China's playing and respecting it? Yeah, I think so up to now. I mean, if the Chinese were now to suddenly give Russia an infusion of weaponry, I think that would change the game a lot. And we're watching that like a hawk. But at the moment, everything is fine. And in the long run, yes, Russia will pivot to China. The EU will pivot back to the United States and energy policy will follow geo strategy in the long run. But we've got to get to the long run. And in both cases, in this intermediate step, nobody wants to sink the entire ship. And so you're going to see more of this hedging going on as we go forward. But I think, yeah, up to now, everyone's just about okay with what the Chinese and the Indians are doing. If they're disgruntled, we're doing it quietly. Okay. John, one of the things we've been talking a lot about domestically here in the U.S. is inflation, the rising cost of goods. You're based in Europe. Are you guys confronting inflation uh, similarly to the, the inflation we're confronting here in the U.S.? We're, we're behind by about two quarters, but it's, yes, it's going up in exactly the same pattern. Our recovery out of COVID was about two quarters behind, but inflation along energy prices, food prices, electricity prices are a huge shock coming to the system. And so you do have the fears of stagflation back to the 1970s, which was precipitated by the Yom Kippur War of 1973 and another energy shock. So there's great fear of that coming here just as they begin to emerge from COVID. But they're a few quarters behind. The headline inflation rate is about five or six percent rather than seven, but not much behind and sadly catching up. Yeah, catching up indeed. That is the theme around the world. John, over the next week or so, what are some events that we should be watching for in the development of the Russia-Ukraine situation? Is it really just watching for the peace talks? No, I think it's more about about actually the fighting in the Donbass, because until we reach some sort of either a stalemate or one side or the other wins in the Donbass, there will be no peace deal in the immediate term. And so the fighting tragically has to play itself out into the medium term. Once the battlefield settles there, though, there are good, good signs that there could be a talk. But we've got months more fighting ahead of us. Well, folks, if you want to keep up to date on these issues, check out John Hulsman's Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. You can find it on his Substack. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Always my pleasure, Mike. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. Shauna Hubbard from Corteva will join us. We'll talk about the reapproval of Enlist across the entire country. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. 
And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer talking to Dennis Long. He is the technical service and development manager at Bellship. Bellship is maybe not a name that a lot of our listeners are familiar with. Can you give us a little history on the company? How long have you guys been in the U.S.? Many people do not know who we are. Actually, we're the 12th largest ag chem company globally. And about four years ago, we came into the United States to try to understand what the needs of growers are here, because one of our core values is to provide solutions to growers. And Dennis, one of the concerns I've heard from growers time and again over the past several days is resistant weeds. They continue to push farther north. They continue to push farther west. Belsham's got a product that is unique in its ability to target these resistant weeds. Can you tell us a little bit about Tough 5EC? Yes, Tough IVC is a great uh, component to add to the tank mix. It's an alternative mode of action, and university data and, and commercial experience this year proves it is help overcome HPPD resistance through the synergy that it brings to the table to get you back to that 95 to 100% control that we're going to need because we need to prevent the seeds going into the seed bank. That's the crucial piece. We've got to kill these plants before they go to seed. When you talk about that synergy, Dennis, in the context of crop protection, what does synergy mean? Well, synergy is more than just adding two products to the tank and getting the same value that or performance that you would have each on their own. There's actually a technical formula. It's called the Colby formula. You've got to plug in the performance of in the tank mixture, go through the equations, and then it's got to come out through academic uh, approval process, if you will. And we right now we have a uh, patent pending on that Synergy claim. Dennis Long, he is the Technical Service and Development Manager at Belsham. Thank you, Dennis, for talking to me today. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We received word earlier this week from the EPA that Enlist and Enlist Duo had been reapproved for 134 counties. Earlier, EPA had, had pulled that approval, and that has changed. To bring us up to speed on the why and the how and the why it matters, Shauna Hubbard. She is the launch specialist, launch enablement manager, excuse me, of row crops with U.S. Crop Protection with Corteva. Shauna, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Mike. Good morning. <laughs> Let's talk first about these 134 counties that the EPA deemed Enlist and Enlist Duo not safe in. What was the reasoning for EPA's decision on that uh, back before in the past? Yeah, good question. There's been a lot of regulatory news recently with Enlist herbicides, and it's good to just remember a, a few steps that happened in the last couple of months. Uh, Enlist herbicides were registered from 2017 to 2021 with a five-year registration, and that registration came up for renewal on January 11th uh, of this year. So that's a normal process to renew registration of a herbicide. We had been able to use Enlist One and Enlist Duo in these 134 counties prior to January 11th this year, but in the updated registration, EPA prohibited the use in the 134 counties due to endangered species concerns. But I think it's important for folks to hear that it was not due to product performance of Enlist One or Enlist Duo herbicides. It was really around endangered species concerns uh, and EPA needing to gather more data about a couple of species in order to make the decision that was released uh, just on the 29th here, two days ago, uh, where they brought those 134 counties back into play for Enlist One and Enlist Duo. So the bottom line is growers in those 134 counties can now spray Enlist One and Enlist Duo on their Enlist crops going forward because those endangered species concerns have now been resolved by EPA. And so it was interesting. Once EPA made that announcement, I know Corteva, you folks have been researching, obviously, these products for some time. You were able to present them with the data. And honestly, Shauna, it sounds like this was a pretty quick turnaround for EPA to get these approvals, the new data slotted in and the approvals brought back out. Does anything need to change long term with the use of these chemicals now that they've got this seven year approval across the country? Yeah, you bet. The process did work for EPA to review data on those listed species and make a determination uh, just about 10 weeks after the January 11th announcement of the registration. So uh, we were really pleased that growers at this point in the season are now able to have certainty in those 134 counties that they can use Enlist One and Enlist Duo going forward for that seven-year registration time period that you pointed out. And so really happy to provide certainty to growers going forward. Yes, especially in a year when everything is as, is as volatile as this one, to have some commitment, to have some certainty, that is always some good news. Shauna, as you think about how Corteva is working to shepherd these crop protection tools through to the grower, um, what else are you guys working on to ensure that farmers continue to have access to the, the newest technology for crop protection? Yeah, that's a great question because Corteva has really been focused on long-term stewardship of the Enlist system really since it was first announced, and that was back uh, about a decade ago by this point, and really focused a lot of efforts around making sure that growers have the tools to keep uh, the system very sustainable. What I mean by that is that we're using good resistance management practices, which we should do on all on all acres, especially trade herbicide acres, and also have the tools to make sure that we're making really effective and on-target applications. Uh, so one thing I'd say is, you know, throughout the last decade, nothing has changed with the characteristics of the products in the Enlist system. Enlist One and Enlist Duo, they have near zero volatility because of the 240 coating in our herbicides that helps it land and stay put. Uh, and so we really do a lot of education around those aspects of the system. We train about 15,000 plus folks per year through our Enlist Ahead program. It's really helping them get the most out of the Enlist system. And I'll make one further comment here. I think as we look at how the products have been reviewed by regulators in the past, 
there's been some real positive outcomes that regulators also realize the benefits of that 240 choline and the way that it behaves, as in staying on target and not volatilizing. Uh, and that's given us labels that are workable for farmers. And so we continue to educate a lot on how to use the system. Education is so vital. Shauna, for listeners who are maybe intrigued by the Enlist Crop System and they want to explore it a little bit more, where can they go for more information? A great place to go is Enlist.com to get more information. Uh, We're really excited for the upcoming 2022 season. Uh, On a national basis, I think we'll have about 40% market share with Enlist E3 soybeans. And really, Mike, we're just very grateful and humbled that folks are trusting their acres to the Enlist system. We think it's a great tool, and folks will be really happy with it. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show, folks. We've been talking to Shauna Hubbard, the Lunch Enablement Manager for Row Crops and U.S. Crop Protection at Corteva. Shauna, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll be back with more AOA. We'll be covering a lot of ground. Certainly, we will be discussing the USDA reports that will be coming out this morning. If you want insights on those today, check out Market Talk Ag. That's the show hosted by Jesse Allen. And later on, or excuse me, tomorrow, we will also be talking to BJ Johnson. I'm very excited about this. He's the founder and the creator of Clear Flame Engines, the technology that is really allowing ethanol to run in a non-combustion similar to a diesel engine. A lot of potential outlets for this technology in agriculture and in heavy hauling. So do tune in on Friday. We'll have all those conversations and more coming to you right here from AOA. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.